And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Is fintech dead? I can't imagine how it could be. It's everywhere. Financial technology has so much to do with our everyday lives. I checked my checking account balance in an app today. I might use, I'm going to link a bank account to QuickBooks here after I record this podcast. There's a whole lot of stuff going on and it is a really big space. And I've got an expert on that to have a discussion with today. Before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Double. It's a flexible assist, uh, flexible assistant service for busy executives that matches you with an experienced assistant. Today, it's easier than ever to hire a virtual assistant online, and no solution is better than Double. Double is the flexible assistant service built for busy founders, executives, or anyone looking to save time and focus on what matters the most. If you want to take control of your business and unlock a more productive version of yourself, go to withdouble.com today and you get $300 off your first month when you sign up with the code HUSTLE22. That's withdouble.com, HUSTLE22, 300 bucks straight into your pocket. There's a link in the show notes that'll help you get there. With me today, I've got Ryan Hemingway and Ryan is a managing director at Epic Ventures. That's a venture capital firm out of the beautiful city of Salt Lake City, Utah. You can go to epicvc.com. Much like the link for withdouble.com, there is also a link for epicvc.com down in the show notes. I guess without further ado and straight out of Salt Lake, Ryan, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, thank you for having me, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is a this will be a fun topic, and I know you've got a lot to to offer on the subject. Before we get into the the before we decide if fintech is dead or not, let's start with a little bit of your backstory and a little bit about what you guys do at Epic. Sure. So I'll start with it, give you a little bit about me. Um, I actually stu- I was studying to be a commercial pilot. Uh, I, I was a flight instructor. Um, had was just about to start interviewing for jobs to be a pilot and uh, switched up at the last minute as uh, I thought, you know, I don't know if I really want to be a glorified bus driver for the next, you know, 30, 40 years. Uh, don't say that to other pilots. That's- I was going to say po- earmuffs, pilots, earmuffs. <laughs> but so and then I so I graduated and jumped in. I was trading bonds, corporate bonds back in New York. So on the capital market side. And I was working with a group that was doing electronic trading. So the gentleman that I worked directly for had built an electronic trading platform. So I was, I got to see firsthand a little bit of the disruption of uh, bringing transparency to the bond market um, where I started. So I, and I, in hindsight, I learned a lot from that experience. And then I went back to school. I uh, did an MBA over over in England at Oxford, and then I joined. A, I graduated in the recession, 
So when the world was falling apart financially, I I joined a regional bank, a commercial bank in Nevada, Nevada State Bank, to build a private banking department. And uh, I, in hindsight, I learned a lot. It was it was a tough it was a tough go since the world was on fire, and I had a front row seat to the destruction of wealth. I started my my first real like entrepreneur thing where I was like an adult. It wasn't a side hustle or anything else in 2008 and 2009. So I get it. It was like, I look back at that and I'm like, wow, how did this make it? You know, like there was, so, is that bank you worked at? Is it still around? It's still around. So we, we did really well. It was, um, we helped the FDIC. So we took over three other banks uh, at the FDIC's, you know, request we helped, uh, we kind of took them over during that and, uh, we did, we did survive. We thrived. We're still around. Um, they, they were about $4 billion. I don't know what they're at now, but, but yeah, I was the first hire to come start a private bank. And I'll tell you this, I remember discussing with my wife when I, when I had got the offer and I said, I've got a blank canvas. It's like being an entrepreneur, but in an organization, I've got resources. This will be, this will be good. And it was not like that at all. It was not like <laughs> it was not well, like being an entrepreneur at all. There don't trigger a- me, Ryan, because if I start talking about banks, I start making some pointed comments. Because for entrepreneurs and startup founders, the world of banking is a is more of a point of frustration than anything else. Because the world of finance hasn't. Well, okay, so that's what I was about to say isn't completely true. The world of finance has been slow to adopt the needs of the startup founder. Now, we go back to 2008, 15 years ago. We can talk about fintech and a lot of other stuff. Uh, I think a lot of people think of 2008. So that was iPhone 3. I like to sometimes compare iPhone models because it lets you kind of give you some reference. So iPhone 3 was the new iPhone right at that time. I remember because I had also started my own as I mentioned, my my first business there, but that was like the wild west of the internet. And so many, you know, there has been, I mean, it's crazy over 15 years, the evolution and the things that have changed. You know, Fintech is is was as a premier cowboy or cowgirl along on that, or should I say cow person? I don't even know what to say anymore. So yeah, so cowboys, cowgirls, anyway, they're all along for that ride. But, you know, there's been so much that's changed. Um, and I think let's start, like, let's kind of rattle off a little bit of like, obviously FinTech, F-I-N tech, financial technology. I feel like that's so broad. Like I was mentioning at the beginning of the show, that could be everything from like the app I checked my balance on to like, a company like LendingStandard.com that's been on the show has supported the show, and they do. They have a specific platform that helps people uh, get loans quickly and easily and affordably for multifamily uh, dwellings. You know, like that's like a, a slice and a niche that's pretty. And then you have things like Plaid, isn't it Plaid that helps pe- all the bank accounts like attach yeah. to stuff? And and thank you doing that because these are the little pain points. But what I've learned is that all these financial institutions are kind of like doing their own thing. And there's a lot of integration opportunity. And the moment you think all the good ideas are gone, you start looking at banking and you're like, wow, there's a lot of disruption that's still still ready here. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. And I think the evolution has been. So if you look back and see where fintech started, right. 
it was basically unbundling all the banking services, right? You mentioned, right? Lending, you had, you know, money transfer, payments, you know, wealth management, and you had all these companies kind of popped up with point solutions in each of these sectors, right? It could have been. Well, let's throw pay. Let's throw PayPal in there too. Oh, like, yeah. If you look at like PayPal, like I mean, you know, so like that was revolutionary at the time. That was our boy Elon over there, you know, like, hey, here's an online payment service, and people are like, what do I do with this? What's this for? That's so you don't get ripped off on eBay. Oh, exactly. There's again. <laughs> And that's, that's moved forward now into, I think, uh, a lot of these point solutions have become, you know, larger solutions. They've added more things. They've implemented more platforms. As you said, everything's connected now with your account. You can transfer money here, there, friends, et cetera. And it's made, I mean, the beneficiary of all this, I think, is the consumer at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I agree. It's made easier on the financial side. Well, they're all, they're all things that needed to exist. And, you know, like, I don't want to, like, I don't really have any vested interest in, in chirping about PayPal, but, you know, you look like PayPal came out, that was, you know, a post 2000 invention. And it was like pretty revolutionary at the time because your option before that was to send a check. Yep. Like a check. Like, and if, and I believe you may be a similar age to me. So at some point when you were a kid, you sent a check away and you got your product six to eight weeks later. Because they had to wait, they had to get the check. They had to wait for the check to clear and a whole lot of other stuff and then ship it. Like, can you imagine trying to sell something in this day and age if you had to deliver it six weeks later? No way. It's crazy. The thought of that, like even my kids, so I have, I have kids, you know, younger, you know, eight to 15. And, you know, two day shipping, you know, instantaneous payments. I mean, they, they don't know anything other than that. Right. It's yeah. absurd. Yeah. And so, so, you know, you're kind of rolling forward now. I mean, the, while FinTech has in some cases been on kind of a cutting edge of disruption and evolution when it came to software and integration, and in a lot of cases, it's also been slow to adopt. Yes. Yes. That that's so 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 it's interesting. So if you go back, if you go back a little bit, you know, a couple of years, you know, before the real big fintech boom, boom, there was a lot of software, you know, hot shots, and I say that respectively, very good that would come in and say, "Hey, I've got this problem. I'm going to solve it with software." And one of the things that they learned early on was that not everything is a software problem. Sometimes it's a regulatory burden. Now, that, that's not the case today. Most of them have figured out, wow, there's a lot of regulatory stuff that we've got to play with when dealing with banks, when operating with people's money. And, and that's a challenge. And I have seen a number pop up in this red, red tech industry to make that more efficient as well. But once we kind of got through that, I think the adoption's starting to take place and at a quicker rate now. Well, I mentioned that banks and startups, early stage startups, uh, our oil and water. And that's a regulatory problem on a, for a number of different reasons. Like if you're listening and you are a software founder, then you already know this. So a lot of software companies don't have the same kind of physical hard assets that um, other companies have. So, you know, it makes it hard to go get a loan and you're just not, you're outside of the traditional model. Now in 2008, where, where our stories largely began, um, you know, that there's, uh, you know, it, it was, it was 
you had no options. Now you see a lot of stuff coming up and, you know, as, as someone that working at Epic VC and once again, go to epicvc.com to learn more, maybe send your information along because they fund early stage startups. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but this access to capital was, was real challenging. And now you have things there, you know, there's crowdfunding platforms and different things that are like almost like online angel platforms that, uh, for some, and I and I don't have exact stats here. I apologize, but you know, five years ago, most of that stuff still wasn't even legal yet. And you know, so and that's that regulatory adoption that's been really slow. It's not necessarily the bank's fault. I actually had a bank CEO tell me, so so Full Scale, the company that owns Startup Hustle and and my business, we have loan equity in like seven different companies that we've done some warrants or different kind of trade for services in. And, and none of the banks we've talked to in the past would recognize any of those assets as worth anything. And that got me fired up because, but I had a bank CEO and I won't mention, he said, I would much rather take that as collateral, but I can't as opposed to a truckload of bolts that someone has that are good for one purpose and one person purpose only. And if I have to go repossess those, I won't be able to do anything with them. But for some reason, I can give that guy a loan, but not you. So you look at fintech and why it isn't dead is because there's all these solutions that are that are springing up. It's like solutions inside solutions inside solutions. You look, I mentioned that company lending standard earlier. You would think that the process of getting a loan, either for a commercial building or a home, would be streamlined and efficient or like filled with all kinds of stuff. Guess what? They are. But there's these little slices and niches, whether it's funding platforms, connecting platforms, making things better. I personally think that you mentioned earlier, you said some things are people issues. But I think overall, I feel like financial services and all that is really made for software because it's, it's on many levels so analytical where two plus two has to always equal four. Where the people problem gets into it is getting, I think, getting people to adopt the use of it. Oh, I think that's 100% correct. I think that's absolutely right. You know, one, you know, one of the things, I guess, I guess one of the beneficial things I think fintech has done more than anything is on the credit side and the lending side. Because if yeah. you think about it, as we all know, banks, as you said, you know, they don't want to lend on IP. They don't want to lend on no assets. They want to only lend to A++ borrowers. And that's, that's fine. Their business model, a bank's business model operates you know because but they can't have a default rate of less than two or three percent or something like that it's a really low number that for them to operate and what what all these credit startups have brought in to the fintech world is on the lending side is they are enabling that portion of the market that doesn't isn't an a plus plus borrower to a bank they're they're giving them access to credit at at an amazing rate so you can, again, all these lending startups that are looking for better ways to underwrite that's not on your general FICO score or your credit file, they're getting loans to them and they're getting, you know, with the buy now, pay later stuff that's happened. And then um, the access to credit, I think that FinTech has enabled is just, is just awesome, right? It's enabled startups. It's enabled people to get access to credit. And, and I think that's really big. One of my favorite examples, and I think a huge supporting argument and why FinTech certainly isn't dead, is occurring here in my hometown in Kansas City with a company called C2FO. 
And Sandy Kemper, who's been on the show several times, CEO and founder there. Um, so he's, he recently told me uh, record, when he recorded earlier this year that they onboard, onboard 25,000 new businesses a day, wow. which is insane. But with that, they, so if you're a, a if you're a manufacturer, if you make something that, for example, gets sold at Sam's Club, Sam's Club typically wants to take receipt and pay you 60 to 90 days later. The problem is, is if you're strapped for cash, you need to have these little, these little bridges because you want that money now so you can keep making more stuff. So you can, at the end of that, you know, so you can keep delivering, keep delivering, keep delivering. And in the past, those kind of uh, AR or, or accounts receivable type loans were super expensive. C2FO created a marketplace that made it really competitive for people to do these loans. And here's the thing. They were secured by, a, by a, an account receivable from Costco or something. It wasn't questionable as to whether they get paid. And so with that, brought that lending rate down and obviously rates are, you know, we're recording this on November. I don't like to mention dates because this doesn't come out for a little bit. But here in November of 2022, they're getting ready to raise rates again. But the thing is, is that affordable access to capital is, and, and, the, and like you mentioned, the quickness of it and the speed and accuracy. Because the last thing I think a business owner wants to do is spend all day applying for loans. No. So here's a, here's a funny one for you. So when I started at Nevada State Bank, we had a small business application um, that was a couple pages long. I mean, it, you had to fill that out. And again, a lot of if you if you go and again, then it would take time to go through our system at the bank and the process and loan committee, depending on the size. Um, there was a process to that. So it could take a week, two weeks, depending. And if you remember one of the early you know, cabbage, if you remember that, their big pitch oh, yeah. was, we'll I was just a, thinking cabbage. On yeah, that. we'll get yeah. you a credit to link to your bank account and like a minute later, know everything about you. Yeah. And, and you and I know in the startup world, like even a quick no is better than a long delayed yeah. no. You know, just yeah, I was just I was just thinking that while you're talking about that two week run up and those applications and like, first off, that's too long. There's immediate needs. Then then I've had that happen. So at full scale, it was like over three years ago and we we're looking at different funding options and we burned like six weeks talking to two different banks. And I told both of them at the front, at the front end, if what you're going to do at the end is tell us is going to, if you're just going to end up telling us to go apply for an SBA loan, just tell me no right now. And they're like, no, that's not where it'll end up. That's not where it'll end up. One bank wanted us to for a, a potential million dollar loan wanted us to provide $10 million worth of assets to back it up. Um, I do mark these episodes explicit, but I'm not going to tell you the explicit things that came out of my mouth to that banker. <laughs> All right. I will. I said, if I had fucking $10 million right now, I wouldn't be asking you for one dude. You're wasting my time. And then the other place ended up saying right response. The other place ended up, it was the right, that, yeah, that's, yeah. And then the other place ended up saying, we think you'd be best to apply for an SBA loan. <laughs> Face palm moment. But yeah, so these are the things that frustrate business owners. And I, you know, so the question is, is like, if FinTech really isn't dead, then how are they going to begin to adapt to the needs of everyone around? And we want to address that question, but it feels like a good time to mention, like all these things are really, really heavy 
and they require a lot of work, a lot of follow-up, a lot of time. And that's why when people ask me what my best advice for building a business is, most of the time it involves the people on your team and knowing when to delegate. And today I'd like to add that knowing when to hire an assistant is key. And it's usually the hardest thing for a startup founder to do because we feel so close to everything. That's why finding an assistant's hard to do. And it doesn't have to be when you connect with your friends over at our friends over at Double. They're the experts at pairing founders with remote executive assistants you can trust. And Double will match you with experienced U.S.-based assistants and arm them with the tools and training to ensure that they're getting the best of the best. Startup Hustle listeners can go to withdouble.com and use the code HUSTLE22. You save 300 bucks right off the bat. That's once again, withdouble.com, HUSTLE22, and save $300. Have you ever used a virtual assistant? Um, I, not a true virtual assistant, but I've used a couple of virtual tools. Um, I think they're a great idea. In fact, I just wrote down double, so I'll check it out. Yeah, well, I'm, si- yeah I'm sitting here thinking, you know, like how it, these are the things that like, yeah, I made a big point and of emphasis in my life. So I'm up to 300 employees and it's just changed the face of like how quickly and, and the intent, everything we do is a hell of a lot different than it was three years ago, four years ago. And yeah, having, having someone to help is great. So, but, you know, but back to, the one thing I, I would always say is to, to entrepreneurs, and you know this better than anyone, is entrepreneurs have to do more with less. They, that's just yeah. the nature of what they do. And, and not only is capital a scarce resource most of the time, like your time is a limited resource. And to use that more efficiently, I mean, it's just better all around. Well, your time's truly finite, you know, and we, and as in the world of VC and startups and software, we love to use the term scalable. Your time is not, that's the biggest limitation, uh, for, for entrepreneurs. So finding, you know, people that can help. And then also you like technology that could help. Now you mentioned cabbage. Cabbage is a, has a love hate story because cabbage was great. Like I actually used it before I was like, wow, this was really fast. And you know what? You paid a little bit of a premium with it, but I was okay with doing that because I turned right back around. It's like, you know, a high interest rate on a 90 day turnaround and payback isn't really that deadly. It is if you're going to stretch it out over eight years, but then the pandemic hit and cabbage literally, I, I, I predicted this. I was telling our COO when it was right when the, the COVID hit. We still called it the coronavirus. We didn't know what to call it in March of 2022. But Cabbage literally cut everyone's credit line, like 100% of their users. They went from like, you have like a $100,000 line to nothing. And that was one of the things we, as we recorded our thousandth episode of Startup Hustle yesterday, I did a, I was in the Philippines when that broke out. And I, I did a little four-part series called The Corona Diaries. And I encouraged everyone at some point during that, if you think you'll need the money later, max your credit lines out now. And uh, two days later, everyone cut all their credit lines. It was kind of weird. And that, yeah. So, but Cabbage, uh, man, so they ended up like, now they needed to do that to protect their business. Most likely they ended up getting acquired by Amex. Yes. So, yeah. But, okay. So with, so are we going with FinTech isn't dead? We're kind of halfway through this or are we still, I, I think it's, I think FinTech is, is ripe for, I think there's a ton of disruption still waiting to occur. And I think there's a lot of really good things and ideas that can still come out in a massive industry worldwide. 
Oh, I, I don't think it's dead in any way. Now, I think, I think you and I could both agree that the numbers are showing, right? We've all seen the layoffs that have taken place at some of the larger fintechs, um, even smaller fintechs. I think the, the funding that's going, gone into fintechs quarter over quarter is in the decline. So I think there's a lot happening to the fintech industry. But I can tell you that, I, again, I work with a lot of financial institutions, smaller banks, et cetera, and how to use fintechs, their software, their um, partnering with fintechs is still a top of mind discussion for most of them. So, so no, I don't think fintechs did at all. I think the adoption is still taking place at a rapid pace and will continue to do so. Um, because I think fintechs, as you said, I mean, they do a lot of things that the banks can't do or the banks already do, but the fintechs can do them better, right? Customer acquisition, distribution, the technology side of things. And, you know, a lot of these, you know, unless you're JP Morgan, that's got billions of dollars into your, you know, IT staff, there's a lot of banks around the nation that need, you know, that need to kind of outsource that expertise. So I think adoption's taking place. So that's why I don't think fintech's dead in any way. So Ice Cube once said, big bank, take little bank. And uh, it is so true on many days. And let's talk about that for a second, because I'm assuming that you mentioned the Nevada, was it Nevada State Bank? Yep. Okay, so that's a local or regional bank. And they're right now, there really is this big bank, take little bank kind of thing going on, because there's you know four or five kind of big mega national banks that are out there and the regional banks are struggling. I'm noticing a lot of consolidation. Like I was, uh, you know, my local bank then became a, like merged with like 10 other banks. How much pressure is on the regional? So I have used a, a local bank for our business at full scale, but quite honestly, I, I've recently had to make the decision to switch to a bigger bank because the FinTech side of it, we do a ton of ACH and wire transfers, you know, we're an international business. We have to send money overseas. We also, you know, collect a lot of money from our clients every month and can't, you know, can't charge credit cards for that. Or I'd have a massive, well, first off, I'd have a huge chargeback liability always floating around. And I'd also pay an insane amount of credit card fees. Um, so how much pressure is on local and regional banks to get their shit together and step up like technologically? I mean, there, like you said, there's a lot of stuff that's helping banks do that, but I'm not seeing the adoption everywhere. Oh, the, the pressure is huge. I can tell you that again, the banks that the circles that I kind of run in, yes, the pressure is huge because again, consumers are, are demanding, uh, again, better user experience. They're demanding all the, the stuff that you said. I want to send ACH. I want to send wire transfers. I want to do international stuff. I need that to run my business to just, and, and those banks that don't have it, um, they're seeing those deposits. They're seeing those relationships, you know, move to some other bank that does have it. And so I think the smart, smaller banks are, are moving quickly and they're adopting technology. Again, I can think of two right now that I know are pushing hard to adopt new technology to offer that to their customers. The pressure is enormous. Is crypto fintech? I do think crypto is fintech. I think, again, it's kind of its own subcategory. Probably in the total bubble. If we just, I mean, yes. when we say fintech, that's like saying software. It's yes. like, okay, that's a lot, right? That's yeah. a lot. Like, what, what do you, do you like sports? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What, what kind? 
so okay so crypto is now is is do do you do you know i don't think banks know what to do with crypto i think they look at it five years ago they're like this is the devil and now they're like yeah but you know we're gonna we're gonna do it so so i i do think they'll get there and again just for for your listeners yes i invested in this but i invested in a company called scion digital um and they are they are a platform that's enabling kind of main street type businesses to work with digital assets. And um, they were having a lot of great discussions with banks around uh, trying to help them make loans against, against crypto. So they were kind of a good, now that's taking, you and I know loans against your crypto digital assets is taking place in the DeFi world all over the place, but they were trying to bridge. Well, in, but in some places that's also imploded this year, like yes. big time. Yes, I mean, big time. I'm talking billions of dollars wiped off the table. What was it with Luna? Is it? Yeah, Luna. Yeah. Luna was the big one, and then the other one was uh, Celsius. Celsius? No. Celsius. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And those were crypto lending platforms, and I kept looking at those. I'm like, you're offering like 20 percent returns. How is that sustainable? Yes, I mean, and it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, but, but that's part, that's part of why traditional banking and the regulation that kind of weighs it down and makes it slow to adopt is there, though, because, you know, like you talk like a bank can't get too cavalier with loaning against certain types of assets or things like that. That's there for intended to be for purposes of consumer protection. Now, we watch those kind of fail safe things blow up in our face all the time. Why were we talking about a financial crisis in 2008? Because exactly. financial everything. Now, I think part of what, like, I, I think that blockchain in general, just the, the whole blockchain process is the future of fintech. Because I think that what a lot of people don't think about or consider is, you know, one of the biggest reasons that uh, that businesses fail is internal fraud. And blockchain fixes that. Because ever since the the ledger and the pencil were invented, the eraser became a, a, as mightier as, than a sword in a lot of cases. And, you know, it's a lot harder to, to steal, just to be blunt about it with the blockchain stuff. But, I mean, the, but the adoption of that, I sometimes sit back and think about that. I'm like, God, this could take like a century. I think it's coming, but it is moving slow. And it's funny you bring up fraud. So again, a little off topic, but when I was in Nevada working with a lot of clients, we had a product that kind of uh, tracked your, you know, your checks and your inflows and outflows. And it was a little extra charge. Most people didn't want to do it. And um, it's surprising how much fraud takes place at a small business, how much, I mean, I guess embezzling happens even even when the founders and all know each other and the CEO says, Oh my gosh, that doesn't happen here. It, it's amazing how much takes place. And I do think the problem is it only needs to happen one time. That's yeah. the thing. It's like, you know, someone only needs to clean that account out once and it's, you know, and it's, Oh yeah, but that person will get in trouble. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you're going to get your money back. Exactly. But I think, I think blockchain will solve for that. I do think blockchains being adopted uh, certainly on the DeFi side, I again, I think the traditional finance side will be slow to adopt. I don't know if they, I don't think they'll be early adopters. Is just my opinion of blockchain so much as some of the other fintechs, but I do believe it will get adopted in the long run. 
So there's been a lot of headlines that have had had been boldly stating things similar to the con- that the death of fintech, which I think is a little aggressive. But we've seen that fin- fintech stocks cratering, and you know, like it's fintech categorically still interesting um, with rates rising and venture capital be- trying trying. I say trying because I don't think it'll ever fully have discipline. Sorry. Um, <laughs> That was your karma for the pilot comment earlier. Um, <laughs> there you yeah. go. But, but, you know, like, you know, what, I mean, for the, it, you know, while it's not dead, or at least in my opinion, it's not like, is it going to be a rough road for fintech companies over these next couple of years while some of this stuff straightens itself out and bounces back? Yeah, I hope, I hope it's not years, um, but I do think they're going to have to straighten out a little bit, right? I mean, Every, you know, the market itself has kind of been, and you know, in this weird state right now, you know, everyone's got a little bit concerned, but you know, what I am seeing, at least again, I'm speaking generally now for, for the companies I work with, right? They're still closing deals. Everything's, you know, still moving forward. I mean, some deals are being pushed a quarter here and there, but overall, like things are still happening. Things are still taking place. You know, fundings are still taking place. Um, but I do think that everyone's gearing up for, you know, some hiccup in the economy here, right? There's a lot of focus on conserving cash, spending, you know, capital efficiency, particularly, um, you know, really. Which, which, by the way, seems to me like it should be an obvious tenant in any business. Right. I mean, those rules haven't changed. It's just, yeah. you know, capital efficiency. Well, they have because you know, five, five years ago you had startup wars where like the number of ping pong tables, bowling alleys and swimming pools you could fit in a Silicon Valley office was your main recruiting point. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that, you know, there's been a lot of capital flooding into this market. And as you know, I think sometimes too much capital um leads to maybe not the most optimal decisions. And so I think we've seen that, but I think that's correcting. And I think that's what fintech's going through right now as well. I think, again, as I said, I think the adoption's still taking place, but, you know, they are cleaning up their businesses. They're getting back to, you and I would argue, fundamentals, I think, to say, look, capital efficiency, let's, you know, let's optimize our processes. Let's, let's be smart about the spending and customer acquisition. And yeah, they'll get through it. And I think they're going to be around because at the end of the day, you know, you got to think fintechs are offering real value ads. So in a business like banking, that is a commodity, um, right? Those margins are being compressed all the time. And if you can come in and, and offer that service, you know, cheaper, faster, better experience, right? That that's just going to help those financial institutions grow. And at the end of the day, they're the customers. I'm I'm hoping you'll reveal here, but when you're sitting around with your peers and partners at Epic, and once again, go to epicvc.com, venture capital, early stage, that's what y'all wanted to hear. So, I mean, when you're sitting around talking about deployment of capital and what seems interesting, like how high on the list is fintech right now? Oh, I, I, I'm still looking at a lot of fintech. So I do, I do think there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, I, again, I would like to say that that we're as select as, as I've always been, but um, but no, it's on the list very much. I think there's still a lot of opportunity across the board, uh, from insurance to you know to lending to 
you know, the depository side. I, I think there's a lot. You could of have a separate episode titled as InsureTech Dead because, man, it got battered over this last year. It um, did. It did really companies bad. like Lemonade. Oh, that lemonade is sour right now, people. It's trading for five to 10 cents on what it came out as, you know. So out of uh, what's then what industry is the true bell of the ball right now for VCs? I have a, I have a comment on that after yours as well. Oh, well, I. I can go first if you want to start thinking about first. it. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, you know, you hear all this, all this chatter and talk about deals not happening. I don't think it's that deals aren't happening. I'm, there's a lot of feet dragging going on right now. Like, and you know, one of the things that those of you seeking capital uh, need to understand is a lot of early stage deals, whether it's funding funds like they have at Epic or typical angel investment often occur through liquidation of a different asset to give you cash, which people are hesitant to do when a market's down 25% because it just feels like you're losing. So there's some feet dragging. People want to kind of make sure that things are, are where they need to be. And then I'm just seeing a true resurgence right now in love for the, for the cash positive, the cash flow positive business. I'm hearing the conversation I'm having outside of the show are more deemed around free cash flow than extreme revenue growth. And obviously both would be great, but the free cash flow thing is, is, a, is a less riskier proposition for investors right now because they're not staring into a burn rate that might not, Who? when does it end? Free, free cash flow, what's that? It's something every business should try to have, man. Like mm -hmm. I said, that that's what's so weird about startups and funding is people. Well, somebody asked me once to describe what startup funding was like, and I said two plus two equals fish. I like that because it doesn't always make sense. You know, companies that haven't turned a profit have you know massive valuations and stuff like that, and I'm like, what? How does this work? So, so like, I mean, what are you seeing? I mean, what's the what's the word what's the word on the street? I think. So I think you're right. I think just by nature of everything that's happened, right? I, I think investors that I'm hearing in circles are, again, I don't know if I call it feet dragging, but I would say they are looking to take maybe a little less risk than they have, right? They're looking for time to revenue. Like if you're in the seed stage, you know, I think that some of the discussions around how quick are you going to get to revenue? Um, yep. How, you know, again, some of the some of the later stage, when I say that, I mean, you may be doing three, four million in revenue, five, something like that, or having discussions around, could you get to break even if you had to, you know, I'm, I'm hearing those discussions re, re kind of come to the surface <laughs> of, you know, if everything really turned bad, could you get to a break even? What would that plan look like? Um, I, I've heard more of those stories as well. And so, I, again, I don't think capital efficiency, strong unit economics. Again, as you and I just said a minute ago, those were always part of building a business and should have been part of building a business. I think there's a lot more emphasis now on defining what that means. Uh, but that, that being said, deals are still being done, right? I mean, we're still looking to do deals. Um, you know, we did six in the beginning of the year. You know, we've got a few in the pipe right now that are close. So we're still looking to deploy capital on the valuation side. I think at the at the more of the growth stage, 
kind of later stage, we're seeing valuations affected a lot more again. But in the early side that I'm seeing, I've still seen deals getting done at good valuations. Um, I mean, I'm not, I haven't seen anything that's 20 times, you know, projected revenue, but, um, you know, I've seen over the last couple of months, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 12 times multiples. So I'm not seeing the multiples come down as hard in the early side as they are on the, the later growth stage. As we progress towards the end of today's episode, once again, with me today, having a fun and inspiring conversation and interesting as well. Uh, I've got Ryan Hemingway, the managing director at Epic Ventures. It's a venture capital firm in Salt Lake City, Utah. Go to epicvc.com for more. There's a link for that in the show notes. As a quick reminder, and once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Double. Double's remote executive assistants can help you with everything from email and calendar organization to expense reporting and database management. Find your perfect assistant today when you head over to withdouble.com. Use that code HUSTLE22 and you get $300 off. It's even easier to get to withdouble.com when you just go down to that link in the show notes, click the link for Epic VC, click the link for withdouble.com. There's also some other fun and interesting links down there that can help you find other resources. So while you're down there, hit that subscribe button, hit that fifth star. Um, you know, a thousand episodes in, we went back and we're like, what are we really bad at? And it was asking people to do the subscribe and the fifth star. So whatever. I, I led that out. That was like one of the first things I said in episode 1000. I was like, we've saved you all of the shilling for that. So please go do that. So, you know, when we look back and, you know, we kind of bounced around on a lot of stuff today. I think the the topic of is fintech dead is pretty broad, but I mean, like if we have to get out our crystal balls and, and, and kind of talk a little bit about Let's talk about what it looks like for someone that wants to get started, someone that's already got started, and someone that's been started for a while. So, so advice. I guess I could also include advice, input, like like if you have if you're talking to those three founders or companies, like what are you telling them their outlook is, what to focus on maybe, or what to avoid. I think. Um, so I think advice for all startups, and I'm going to, I'm going to say, um, you know, I'm going to quote and uh, not paraphrase, sorry, Ev Williams, right? One of the, the uh, co-founders of Twitter. Um, and again, I'll paraphrase here. You can look it up. But one of the things he said that I think everyone should remember, right? He said, look, the internet technology is not, it's not magical. It's not a utopia, right? It's an engine of convenience, I think is what he said. And he said, people want to do what they've always done. They just want to do it better, faster, a better experience, cheaper, whatever. So I would say specifically to the early stage crew in fintech, right? Remember that, right? The, the products that aren't necessarily new, but you've got to deliver it. You've got to add value. So I guess that's the real point is remember to add value, add value to the consumer, add value to your bank partner, your financial institution, whoever you're working with. And focus there because the more value you add, whether it's good times or bad times, you know, someone wants to adopt your solution. So again, value, value, value. And I think that's probably fair across the, the two or three. Um, I, I think that's probably the advice I would add is look, add value, capital efficiency, again, spe specifically to the later stage groups. 
I would say, you know, capital efficiency right now, right? Be wise with your capital. You know, you should be running those A-B tests on all your distribution channels, right? Lower your customer acquisition costs where you can, you know, et cetera. I think if I have to think about that, I think for the earliest, like the the pre-seed, like, hey, I got a new fintech business. I think you got to, you know, first off, Ryan hit the bullseye, like square in the middle. Focus on value. What's the value that you provide to a user on any level? Um, I think that applies to any business anywhere. If you're not focused on providing value, you're going to find that someone else will, and they'll probably end up with your users. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I see the earliest stage founders make is they're coming in to these presentations and these pitches talking about the eight things they're going to do to change the world. Focus on one, maybe two at most and, and be a triple plus at those because if you're not, if you don't have some value prop or something in there that's going to really like reign supreme and be at a world-class level, you're just in the middle of the pack. Um, I think for those that have already started, I think capital efficiency is a big thing. Um, I think it's just, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think there's a lack of access to capital. I just think that like I use the term foot dragging. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's really like the true thing. I think there's just a, you know, the checks don't flow as freely during this time because there's just a little more scrutiny on those decisions on when, how, and maybe even who makes them. Uh, but you know, like good businesses that have good offerings at fair valuations are getting funded every day right now. And, um, I poked a little fun at the discipline of VCs cause it's easy to do. Um, it's not an industry or group of people that have always been the most, uh, uh, disciplined. Let's just use that. So uh, I think that that discipline begins to, that builds up, it builds up. It's kind of like the buy the dip people, right? So things appear on sale right now. Google stocks at a 52 week low, but is it on sale? So here's the thing, man, make, put something on sale, go out and get some capital. And you know, like the thing is, is I always compare valuations to my baseball card collection when I was seven or eight. And like, I'm like, dad, it's a Mark McGuire rookie card. It's worth a hundred dollars. And he'd be like, kid, do you have anyone to give you a hundred bucks for it, son? No. Okay. Then it didn't work shit. You know? And like, that's my dad's like true reality of like, but it's a realist point of view. Like it's worth whatever people give you for it. And your market price. So like the funny part is uh, there's so many founders out there that have this fictional fantasy net worth. You don't pay your bills with your net worth. Not like that. Pay bills with liquidity and value and stuff like that. So it is what it is. Like if you're sitting around like all hung up on a valuation for a company that's not even acquirable yet, like that's all you're going to end up doing. And then I think for the, for the, for companies with traction, I mean, it's time to focus on profits or getting to break even or free cash flow. It's a good time to cut costs. And in some cases, if you are, uh, and this is what my business is doing right now is build up cash reserves. Yep. You know, and that's, and, and reducing debt. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it feels pretty simple. Like as a per, as a personal investor, um, I see the market going down. That tells me it's time to take cash off the table and pay off anything else that might have interest on it, you know, and there's a, a lot of approaches, but don't get down. Um, because, and, and you know, another thing too, is like, I, the, our economy right now sure seems to be 
kicking out a lot of positive signs that are perplexing the street. You know, the labor market's still strong. Um, interest rates for fintech are definitely going to have an impact because the people I, I'm talking to my buddy that runs a home lending department at a big bank. And I saw him the other day. I was like, so has the Fed ruined your business yet? And he's like, no, but it's close. So, but, but it doesn't mean like if you're a startup founder, you're building tomorrow's innovation. So like by the time that it really even matters, I mean, you'd like to think that a lot of this stuff had straightened out. Once again, Ryan Hemingway, Epic Ventures, epicvc.com. Make sure to go to withdouble.com. Ryan, let's do a follow-up down the road and see if anything we said was right or wrong. I love it. Let's do it. Thanks see again. See you down the road. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.